fuck is up, students? Hello and welcome to Pod of Greed University Edition, where we're going to be smart and talk about things and educate ourselves. And now, um, the, usually if you're sort of hosting a, a guest lecture, this is the point at which, uh, you know, the introducer, me, sits and tells the students all of the, the, the lecturer's accolades and papers they've written and, and books they've published, but this is a Yu-Gi-Oh! podcast, so we don't give a shit about any of that. So what I'm going to do is ask our uh, professor, lecturer, Daniel, um, what is your history with Yu-Gi-Oh? Also, first of all, who are you? And what is your history with Yu-Gi-Oh? Hi, everyone. Hopefully my voice is coming in fine um, and everything ends up working okay. Yeah, my name is Daniel McClurkin, and um, I'm a PhD candidate in the English department at Johns Hopkins University in Baltimore, Maryland. And I primarily research in, in my in my real life work, uh, early modern Ireland and England um, and the colonization of, of, of Ireland and the literary production around those um, those few generations of, of colonization that, that, that spring up into plantation states in the 16th and 17th centuries. Um, I do remember that season of Yu-Gi-Oh! fairly well. It's very, very important season of Yu-Gi-Oh! So that, that is, that is me. <laughs> um, uh, and my Yu-Gi-Oh! Um, experience, so like like most people, I um, had Yu-Gi-Oh! cards growing up and I watched a few shows uh, here and there. Uh, when, I was, when I was younger, I remember my, my, my granny was big into eBay and I made her buy me the fusion of uh, I think I think it was uh, it was it was Dark Magician and someone else, and I and I made her buy me like for five dollars on on eBay once that card. Um, and then I returned to Yu-Gi-Oh in my undergrad years um, because the house I was living in we we had just finished watching all of Dragon Ball on one of the house activities, and we were looking for another thing to do. And so we all watched uh, Yu-Gi-Oh! together, or at least had it on in the background while we were doing other things. And um, one of my roommates still is like very adamant on finishing all the Yu-Gi-Oh! Um, what do you call them? Uh, mistakes? Uh, GX and everything beyond. Um, <laughs> Yu-Gi-Oh! Post. Um, yeah, but I stopped. I, the last thing I, I fully remember watching in that moment, because I did bail at one point, was I think Alexander the Great showed up. Um, and that was when I sort of uh, went, okay, this is this is this is fair enough. Um, but yes, I um, that's my my sort of history with Yu-Gi-Oh. And um, what I am doing today here, and what I, I talked about coming to do, is to talk about uh, Marxism in general in relation to Yu-Gi-Oh. Um, which I think there's some interesting things to be said there. But that's that's my introduction. Yeah, welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, everyone, everyone, you can sit down now, everyone. Um, who, who have we got here? Roll call. I'm Sarah. I'm Max. I'm Audrey. Yeah, and uh, we're, we're in the class today. We're in the class. We're all several desks apart for obvious reasons, but we're all in the same room together in the same lecture hall. We're in the lecture hall from Bloodborne. Okay, okay. Um, who's in the anime chair? Very important question uh i think that's you sarah okay i'm in the anime chair um cool so uh daniel everything's in your hands um daniel take the wheel. how do you want to do this sure um so i i wanted to start the way that i tend to uh i think begin these discussions i do want to open it up again you you all are the Yu-Gi-Oh experts i've seen 
most of the show. Um, and, and of course, I watched a few episodes in preparation for this. Um, but I want to start with just uh, a proposition of how to look at Yu-Gi-Oh, a sort of way of, of, of reading it overall as, as a series. Um, offer a few of my, show my hands, my hand a little bit of what I'm most interested in, and then open it up to to have a conversation between the experts and us. I, I gave us some readings today, um, and the readings, um, I, I'm I'm curious, and this is my question, I'll ask this question in a moment, um, but I'm curious if any episode stuck out to you as you were looking over the readings or um, anything. And for those of you listening at home, the readings that we had were excerpts from Walter Benjamin's uh, The Work of Art in the Age of Mechanical Reproduction, excerpts from Marx's Capital, Volume 1, Chapters 26 and um, 33 on Primitive Accumulation and uh, the Theory of Modern Colonization, uh, Rosa Luxemburg's response to, to uh, Primitive Accumulation, and some, some excerpts from Lenin um, as well uh, on the similar issue of monopoly and, and, and colonization. Uh, well, imperialism, uh, really, but I think I'll start here. Um, when I watch Yu-Gi-Oh, um, and I think this is this is fair to say that Yu-Gi-Oh is a show that is obsessed with markets, right? Like this is in in a really odd way, in in, in a way that that made me not just out of a joke because it's kind of a standard joke. Like let's talk about Marxism and anime. Let's talk about high theory and something that is seen as lower, right? That's kind of a standard um, ha-ha-ha, um, which mostly d serves the purpose of, trust me when I say that art it, art and politics are separate and that low-form art doesn't actually have anything to do with high-form theory. And, you know, we can imagine who who's uh, who that benefits, that line of thinking, uh, when people don't want you to, to consider the art that you're consuming. And Yu-Gi-Oh! is, of course, high art. Uh, <laughs> but um, beyond, beyond, beyond just that sort of the, the kind of humor in that it's hard to, to deny that Yu-Gi-Oh is a show that is fundamentally about um owners of businesses uh structuring challenges in other people's life right our our, our main antagonists are not just like a, a an ex eccentric quixotic king-like maximilian pegasus uh who just happens to be you know some eccentric um sovereign but he's the leader of a he's, he's the ceo of a or chairman actually, i actually don't remember his exact position but he's the head of a major corporation seto kaiba again habakor being one of the major situations in fact every arc of Yu-Gi-Oh, except arguably for some of the last ones where they eventually go to egypt has some inciting incident being a business merger some hostile corporate takeover some corporation infringing on on someone else's uh someone else's existence right one if one wanted to sort of read really broadly i mean part of the opening episodes is a wealthy businessman goes into a small time business owner and steals him that literally takes takes the small business and subsumes it into uh it, its corporate body um again this is sort of speaking in very abstract terms but Yu-Gi-Oh! is a show filled with these, these very peculiar moments. And it's worth remembering that the characters of the show are... It's very hard to figure out what exactly they do, right? Even our protagonists. I'm not saying... I don't want to say that Yu-Gi-Oh! Yu-Gi himself is, is, a, uh, is some sort of metaphor for the working man either. I don't think that's the show where it's one about uh, the proletariat versus the, the capitalists. Um, 
but sometimes it does get posted like that. So number one, I think Yu-Gi-Oh! is a show that that really calls to be analyzed in terms of markets and monopolies, honestly, because that is also one of the major um, factors there um, of, of monopoly control over some industry. That is that is usually the 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 impulse for a lot of these corporate um, mergers. So that's that's one of the reasons I think you know, and, and this is beyond the real world application of this of this tension between the real Yu-Gi-Oh, which is this like campy, fun little manga, anime, etc., and the Yu-Gi-Oh that a lot of us remember from the early aughts onward, a a show that exists to sell cards, right? To to sell something, a a show where the um, that is very common in the nineties and in, in early where there is no distinction between advertisement and um, artistic enjoyment, or there's no difference between advertisement and um, entertainment is what I is what I really want to say there. Um, and of course, nowadays we sort of I think are very aware of of how entertaining advertisements want to be, and sort of the fact that you know, there's really there's very little entertainment that's actually not some sort of advertisement. Um, but this one is, is, of course, much, much, um, much more related, right? Where there's a literal project. You too can be like your favorite, uh, Joey Wheeler, uh, and, and own this this card if you would like to. Um, so, so we're, we're we're even bracketing that whole part of of, of it, which maybe we shouldn't, but I, I'm bracketing it for now. So that's one of the reasons that I that I think that that approaching Yu-Gi-Oh from a, a Marxist critique, a critique that looks at um, the relationships between material uh, uh, conditions and the people within the shows of the production of, of value of, of just general financial terms and, and or not financial terms, excuse me, um, economic terms for understanding the world of the show itself um, is useful and it, it is something the show calls for. Personally speaking, and and, and this, I'll, I'll finish my sort of intro rambling right now, but. Personally speaking, I am obsessed with Maximilian Pegasus, as 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 I think all should be. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he is he is a charismatic, suave wine drinker uh, in a children's show. Which I don't know about the rest of you. When I was a child, and it was just like somebody's drinking wine on screen. Oh my gosh, this is this. Is... What are you He's drinking milk. Uh, yeah, me. he's he's just drinking he's, juice. Please, it's juice. That is that's right. Yeah, he's just drinking juice in his tune world. Uh, I too see two worlds when I drink too much juice. Um, but Maximilian Pegasus is is bizarre, um, not just because he like becomes the sovereign of some unnamed island where where he got this island from. Who lived on this island before him? Uh, how long did he have this island in, in in preparation? What ocean is this island? All these questions become. Very hard to pin down. Um, so beyond that, uh, I'm obsessed with um, Maximilian Pegasus because of the creation, the inception of the Yu-Gi-Oh card game, the, the card game, Duel Monsters itself. Um, now let's remember that this is a show that at this point in time is entirely tied to a real world product, right? A real-world card game, and this real-world card game has to say to itself, "Okay, where, where in the in where do we come from?" And the answer goes, "We have to put ourselves 
in history, in a historical situation. We must be, we must have been for time immemorial. The Yu-Gi-Oh card game must be as old as the pharaohs themselves, which that's fucking wild, right? That's that that is a, a wild thing for a, for for a gaming entertainment company to want to do. You don't fire up Legend of Zelda and go, ah, yes, this is a game that's you know tries to pretend that you know uh, the the ancient Roman empire emperors were were playing it, right? Um, so that's bizarre in and of itself. But really, for me, Maximilian Pegasus shines whenever we see him in Egypt, and this is the wild part. Maximilian Pegasus goes to Egypt. And while he's there, he becomes enamored with, with the Egyptian mythology, the Book of the Dead, and how am I, how does the afterlife work in Egypt? Okay, he's lost a loved one. We can all relate. We all sometimes reach out in, in moments of mourning and, and melancholia to, to pull towards something. And when he gets there, he discovers this ancient game of dual monsters. And it's on this that he makes his fortune, that he really, really becomes someone attuned to an actual global king in some capacity. Um, it is hard to overstate how, how, uh, how much the dueling monster card game is just in everything. Right of the world. Okay, so that's 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 one part of it that we can get we can get into and talk about in a moment. Um, that we can talk about in, in a second there. But um, the, and the very specific moment that that made me go, okay, here's why I want to assign some of these readings. Here's why I want to talk about this is Maximilian Pegasus. Event he reads about the Egyptian god cards. Right. Okay. Goes back to Egypt, and he is allowed entrance into this tomb because he's supposedly going to be the chosen one, right? Into this tomb, and he has his people record and and take pictures of these, these Egyptian god cards. And of course, we get a pharaoh's curse that comes off some curse. And when he gets back to the states, and he's he's trying to create these cards. All his team dies, right? Or all people in his team die. Then he paints the Egyptian god cards himself, personally paints them. And when he finishes the paintings, so the paintings of a photograph of a hieroglyph, the gods are reawoken and threaten to destroy the entire world. Okay, move on from there. This is an incredible moment where we normally think of colonial procedures, of colonial acquisitions as about material resources, and as we should, material resources or labor, right? Colonial projects, imperial projects are almost always after, especially in the modern moment, um, either resources or somebody to work those resources. This is this is um, issues of the slave trade or in contemporary discussions, um, what is what what amounts to merely slave labor and in, in the in in the form of hyper exploited labor um, in third world markets, but here instead we have somebody who is taking a concept, a ritualistic image, right, removing that from from its original context and recreating it. And the show's response to that is not that. 
oh, only the original object could bring forth the power of the gods. Only this, you can imagine a show in which he would finish the painting and nothing happens. And it's like, ah, why are the Egyptian god cards eluding me? Ah, but no, he's successful. The show flat out says the recreation and reproduction of art, of, of some of art in its ritualistic setting from, from Egypt, very specifically Egypt, done properly can recreate the initial historical feeling that the history of the gods and pharaohs can be retraced can be recreated we can return to it if we just perfectly recreate it that is a really really bizarre um but fascinating uh, um take from the show itself that to me is one of the more one of the more um interesting moments and what I what I think can only be understood nestled in a, in a longer discussion of what Marx calls primitive accumulation, um, what Benjamin talks about when he refers to the aura of the art um, and sort of art's original ritualistic place and sort of how Yu-Gi-Oh questions that. Yu-Gi-Oh throws that into question, says, what the hell do you mean aura? No, I can recreate aura. There's no problem with that. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna do it, right? <laughs> What do you mean I can't recreate the feeling of of the Egyptian god cards? No, I'm just gonna recreate them to the point where they just the gods are back, baby, right? Like that's um and so that's what I'm really interested in. But I was curious, uh, so that's 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 enough for an introduction to me. And so I I I open up this question to the rest of you all. If you looked at the readings, skimmed the readings um that I put forward, was there any part of Yu-Gi-Oh that they reminded you of when you sort of were reading little sections of it and like lines from from Marx or Luxembourg or Benjamin where you're like, oh this this is or or um Lenin, uh you like this is Yu-Gi-Oh. Was there any like associations you made? Um something <clears throat> something that sort of stuck out to me is when I was talking about art and you know like you know reproduction of art. I think like what's interesting and, you know, probably just like sort of a weird take by, you know, Takahashi, who, the guy who wrote Yu-Gi-Oh! It like the dual monsters weren't necessarily like originally art. It was more like a religion or a lifestyle that the ancient Egyptians and the ancient Atlanteans did. Like, like they're not, they're real things. They weren't like just like something they believed in and like there wasn't really proof like they like genuinely did exist that like we see it in the show we like go to the dual monsters world or whatever and it's interesting that and like you know like you mentioned before in introduction how um the art of it like the reproduction of it is still seen as legitimate um and then something oddly enough that goes beyond that is in season two and three when they're fighting like the rare hunters and malik and his gang Malik, who's like more of a legitimate, like I get like not user of the cards, but like you know his family lives in Egypt, and his family like like is like real closely related to the pharaoh and all of that. And when Malik tries to make copies of the god cards, those are seen as illegitimate, but the original copy that like Pegasus, an outsider, <laughs> makes is seen as legitimate. Is like it, I don't know. It, it seems like it's sort of the thing. It's flipped on his head. Or the, the person who you would think, I mean, you know, Malik's not the Pharaoh, and the whole point of it is that Malik isn't the Pharaoh, and he's still trying to take the God cards to become the Pharaoh. 
But it's it's just a weird take by four kids, or not by four kids, by Takahashi, that he's the one with the illegitimate god cards, even though he, you know, would definitely have more of a claim to it than Pegasus, who is just a white guy from California who shows up and is like, these are mine now. Yeah, and, 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 I, and I think that's right. And, and, and I I um I think that's a, that's a really, that's a really interesting moment. And I think one thing that I want to underpin is when you say like white guy, of course, like, you know, bringing the race... Um, race discourse into this is is um, tricky and, and always will be. Um, but when I hear white guy, what I hear is a guy separated from this history, from from this context in which Malik isn't, right? There's a way in which like, who is the actual inheritor of uh, Egypt? Well, of its art, the actual inheritor is Maximilian Pegasus and of like literal spirit of Geist, it's this guy, Yugi, it's this kid. It's this, it's this, it's this white boy in, Domino City, America, right? Like it's like it's like we 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 it, it it where legitimacy and authenticity actually ends up lying in the modern age. Um, part you could see that as partially problematic. A generous reading for me is like this is kind of what capitalist hege uh, hegemony does, right? It, it's where is where is the real Egypt? Where are the real Egyptian artifact? Well, you can go to you know see the pyramids or whatever, but a lot, a lot of them still exist in the in uh, London, right? A lot of them still exist in these museums. I mean, there's this whole scene where it's like, all right, we have to waken up Yami Yugi's memories, right? Where are we going to go? The first place they go is not Egypt. They go to a local museum that has a bunch of Egyptian artifacts, and you hit this moment of like, wait a second, like let's walk, let's walk through this just for one moment, right? Like this is this is what the show tells us. Here, we have the spirit of a pharaoh. The spirit of the pharaoh has lost his memory and lives within the body, shares a body with a young white boy. This pharaoh wants to remember what he has forgotten. And so given the options of how are we going to do this, they go, okay, let's not go to, to Egypt. Let us go to the local museum, I'm sure that would be fine. That is a really weird, it takes a lot of, uh, uh, well, it takes a lot of uh, thinking uh, to get to that conclusion. Um, but it makes a lot of sense, right? That That is exactly how we view engagements. We can have a sincere, real engagement with a lost past in a place that holds oftentimes stolen artifacts. That that is a location uh, where stolen art objects from colonial eras uh, reside, that location can do as much as to awaken memories within a pharaoh himself, right? Like, of course, it doesn't fully succeed, right? He doesn't get all of his memories back there, but that's the um, initial thing. Um, so, so I have I have something to actually follow up on that um, because I think it's really interesting. It, there's there's um, um an almost character. Uh, caricature-esque um, reading of some of the things that happen to anyone who tries to um, get one of the items who isn't the quote-unquote correct owner of the items. Um, you see it with um, Ryo Bakura's dad. You see it with Sugoroku and um, Arthur Hawkins. Um, you see it with any number of people who like try to um, raid fall. Um, but one of the 
as we mentioned, one of the ones uh, who succeeds and is a rightful owner is Pegasus for some reason. Um, (laughs) Right, is Pegasus for some reason. Um, And by far, it is shown that his acquisition of his item, at least physically, is easily the most traumatic of uh, anyone else in the series. Um, it, It is essentially torture for him to get the eye installed um and and he does it and you know shoddy does it to him um but like there is this very interesting relationship that he ends up with the eye afterwards because he did it to bring again to try to bring a dead loved one back to life but he goes through so much trauma to do it so in in a sense he he is you know, like these other um, other white, you know, explorers and colonists who are trying to tap into um, Eastern magic or whatever, but it backfires on him in a pretty serious way. And it's only because, it, you know, it, normally you'd say like, oh, he's appropriating this culture, but like it is only because he was chosen by the eye instead of the other way around that he was able to make... Um, those legitimate versions of the god cards which Malik wasn't able to create because he didn't he wasn't the rightful owner of the correct item. So it's like this very weird relationship that Pegasus has both with the magic that he taps into and the products that he creates as a result of that. Um which is like not really explored. Yeah, no no I th- I that that's a really uh, I the thing the thing I, I find most Sort of striking by by sort of your 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 addition here is 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 not only acknowledging that there is a legitimacy to to, to Pegasus um, and where that legitimacy comes from is is something worth exploring, but also how traumatic it is for him. There is there is this moment where it's like the only person really in the show to suffer physical harm like that, right? Well, like Bakura literally does. having uh, Bakura does Bakura does yes, that's right. Um, <laughs> we have Bakura and we have but Pegasus like as you said it's like but what do you say that Bakura does Bakura get tortured in that same way? Like it's, it's no, painful. No, I, I, yeah. yeah, it's it's not. So uh, I think psychologically, you could talk about oh, of course, yeah. what <laughs> what it does to have a malevolent spirit, the embodiment of all evil, living in your brain for most of a series. Um, no, I mean the only physical harm he comes into um, is um, the points of the ring digging into his chest which is pretty horrific to look at. Not a good panel. I don't love to see it, but I don't think it is the same um, same level of torture as getting the eye installed was for Pegasus. Exactly. And, and, and um, uh, no, this, this is, this is um, what I mean. Like a lot of characters in the show suffer from some psychological like uh, uh, struggles. I mean, I, I uh, and some people's, you know, very egos are destroyed in the shadow realm, but um you know, as far as, but you're right to point out this sort of physical, and there's this, so we have these three different, we have three different ways we can begin to think about, like, acquisition of Egyptian um, uh, goods, of, 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 of artistic goods in this capacity, or, or intellectual goods in some way, shape, or form, again, we're moving away from material for a moment here, but sort of uh, an abstraction that is meant to be reified again, of made back into a thing. So we have, one, the museum, we have this museum, and the museum's kind of important, right? Uh, this is where um, you know Yugi's Yugi's father or grandfather has a um, relationship with with you know acquisition of artifacts as well, um, which again how 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 Yugi comes in possession of this 
kind of illegally gotten artifact is. So that's one way of, of just stealing, right? We have a lot of shows of theft, of robbery, of, of, of plundering, right? We have reproduction via Pegasus, right? We have literally him recreating images. Um, and the same thing with Kaiba Corporation. Kaiba Corporation, you know, one way of talking about what they're trying to do and where they make their money from is from even more realistically recreating um, these arts, these art objects from Egypt, right? Through through a mediation of Pegasus, where Pegasus decides sort of more or less what those are going to look like. But that's what they're trying to do. So we have that. And then we have this other third thing of, of legitimate um, owners in some capacity. Again, this is where we get a little, we don't want to, we don't want to necessarily make any owner a good guy in this story, but somebody who has a legitimate claim to history and the fact that they have, they've lived in this locale bestowing rights upon somebody, right? Where, where Pegasus is sort of given this and is, is proved that he's allowed to be. And when we talk about colonization, I want, one of the reasons I gave this sec one section of Marx here is, Again, I don't think Marx is the is the be all end all when talking about uh, colonization. I think there's been a lot of other um, really important later thinkers influenced by Marx, of course, who, who are better at this. But for our discussion today, you know, we have to look at something. I think Chapter Thirty Three starts with a really important model for understanding what the relationship to Egypt is in this show, and also acknowledging that like the United States exists, and supposedly that's where uh, Pegasus's corporation takes place. Or, 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 or it lands. Germany exists, right? There's German corporations. Um, and Japan exists, right? So we have these like really kind of first war. I mean, these are all um, G7? G7. I don't know why I'm like the city. It's called the G7, right? Is that the. G8? G8. Is it G8? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. G8. Yeah, G8. Well, I think it's, G8. G8. it's G7 now. What, what nation do I, do I subconsciously want to remove from that? Um, the G, we have like, possibly, yeah, uh, yeah, I, I, uh, yeah um, the G8, um, three G8 countries and Egypt, right? And so the beginning of Marx's chapter 33, the fine, this is the final chapter in Capital Volume 1, right? The opening line is the essence of a free colony with the translation of it. The essence of a free colony, on the contrary, consists in this, right? that the bulk of the soil is still public property, and every settler on it can turn part of it into his private property and individual means of production without hindering the later settlers in the same operation. This is the secret of the prosperity of the colonies and of their inveterate vice, opposition to the establishment of capital. Right, so there's a way in which, like, Pegasus's acquisition of these images are simultaneously a a a a type of robbery, right, a type of colonial removal, but but very different, right? It is fundamentally different than the actual removal of the artifacts, right? Um, at the actual removal of of um, something that 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 aligns more more what we expect from colonial. Um, processes. For those of you who have studied art, I mean, this conversation comes up time and time again with what do we do with Picasso and his influence uh, from these African masks, right? Um, what is that? What's happening in that relationship? Um, and is there? Where does the sort of problematic um, appropriation lie? And is there one? Is is the appropriation? Uh, where does that appropriation sort of um, 
actually manifest as problematic. Um, I also want to note one thing really quickly here, and I want to, I want to, before, before I continue hearing the rest of your responses, um, there's, a, there's a paltry few actual workers in, in the Yu-Gi-Oh world that we see. Um, there are, yeah, I, I have a big note about this yeah, uh, as well. Um, so, so help, I mean, help me think through this, but one thing I found also very fascinating about the pegs, I mean, we have a bunch of managerial stooges, people who kind of like, um, you know, they're, 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 they're higher level, uh, CFOs or whatever. And we have like the bodyguards kind of a Maximilian Pegasus, but we have the kind of, some of the workers that we do see in the show are the ones who go with, with Pegasus to get the God cards, do this recording. They come back and they're coding something or other they're trying to you know they're trying to recreate this image or they're trying to work for the photographs um all these people who who work for pegasus right um and they all die first right um and and there's, there's something very funny about the show that is about like children existing in, in absolute leisure to play their their fun little existential games um and the CEOs and uh, owners of the world absolutely dictating how they're going to experience the world vis-a-vis -vis their cre their creation of entertainment products. And then there's like really no other laborers in the show. Um, but Sarah, what, what were you going to, you had a big note on that you said. Yeah, because I, th I think whenever you said, when I was doing the reading, I think it was actually the first reading when it was talking about the... Um, you know the the separation of the the workers from the means of production, and and actually I was relating to this thinking about myself as like a costume maker because you know, I I have the skills to make costumes. I also own my sewing machine, so I like I'm both labor and means of production, um, and that kind of made me think of how um, both Kaiba and Pegasus in the show they like Kaiba builds his own dual disc like he physically designs makes builds the first dual disc like we see him do it really like we see pegasus like physically painting all the individual cards the god cards so that and the, they're kind of portrayed as these like genius um creators who because that like oh because they're really smart or they're really good at painting or whatever that's how they have that's how where they've made their money that's where they've made their wealth that like gives them the right to like own these things mm -hmm. um yeah no i no i've forgotten where i was going with this no no no, no that's not uh so and this is going off of um uh so I'm, I'm pulling up a section of the of the reading right now but this is this is going off of what one thing that audrey had sort of had tuned us into um, and thinking about this question of authenticity and, and legitimacy, and you know, one one way that that um, one way that modern capitalists um, argue for their legitimacy is that um, they they continue they, they, that they that they continue to to um, this is one way of arguing they continue to hold the virtues assumed in this earlier moment as the transition into capitalism happened that, that is assumed to to be there um in in their ancestors right so this is this i want to read this section from marx right here and think about this in relation to how we see the meritorious the hardworking, the industrious uh literally a, a, a an orphan right dragging himself up um uh up towards uh the top but how how this 
myth of of the of the of the true hard worker who's who's uh, you know who's programming of of some of something uh, that looks like Amazon to begin with justifies him having all the money in the world, right? How this falls in line with how Marx talks about this initial moment of uh, these early moments of, of capitalism. So this is this is the chapter twenty six, um, the second paragraph. I just want to read a few lines here and then think about this with you all. Um, so the primitive accumulation or this primitive accumulation plays in political economy about the same part as original sin in theology. Adam bit the apple, and thereupon sin fell on the human race. Its origins is supposed to be explained when it is told as an anecdote of the past. In times long ago, there were two sorts of people. One, the diligent, intelligent, and above all, frugal elite. The other, lazy rascals, spending their substance and more in riotous living. The legend of theological original sin tells us certainly how men how man came to be condemned to eat his bread in the sweat of his brow but the history of economic original sin reveals to us that there are people to whom this is by no means essential never mind never mind that there are some people who do not you know uh eat by the sweat of their brows but fine ignoring that thus it came to pass that the former sort accumulated wealth and the latter sort had at last nothing to sell except their own skins except their own labor and from this original sin dates the poverty of the great majority that, despite all its labor, has up to now nothing to sell but itself, and the wealth of the few that increases constantly, although they have long ceased to work. Such insipid childishness is every day preached to us in the defense of property. Uh, moving forward, uh, as soon as the question of property crops up, it becomes a sacred duty to proclaim the intellectual food of the infant as the one thing fit for all ages and for all stages of development. In actual history, it is notorious that conquest, enslavement, robbery, murder, briefly force, play the great part. In the tender annals of political economy, the idyllic reigns from the time immemorial. Right and labor were from all time the sole means of enrichment. The present year, of course, is always accepted. As a matter of fact, the methods of primitive accumulation are anything but idyllic. Incredible line, right? Incredible, incredible, incredible paragraph um, from Marx there. But I'm gonna be honest, I read that multiple times and didn't fully understand what it meant. Okay, I, I have a, th I have a thing about this because, um, ha well, so hi, Dan, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Uh, I'm glad you could come. Um, Daniel, I'm going to be calling you Dan and Daniel to separate this. Um, Daniel, you have never seen the Yu-Gi-Oh sub, am I right? Um, no, I've, I've, I've like an episode just to see what it sounded like, but no, I watched the entire thing dubbed. Uh huh. So, how familiar are you with the literal war crimes of Gozaburo Kaiba? Uh, not at all. <laughs> because a major, 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 possibly the major plot point of season four is how Kaiba's wealth. Uh, that he inherited from Kaiba is built literally upon war crimes. Right. Like oh, he's, his... he's a military. Yeah, his the Kaiba Corporation yeah. before was an entertainment company was a military uh, producer. The same with his German uh, counterpart, which like I wonder. Yeah. I wonder who that German company uh, was producing weapons for before in the previous generation. Hmm. Continue, please. <laughs> <laughs> um, I forgot what I was going to say. Oh, I think I think. Um, because Dan, you were you were talking about um, 
being confused concerning primitive accumulation? Mostly just the way it's worded, and it it just... I can't quite wrap my head around it. So I understand that uh, there's, there's like, this whole... This whole myth of the the elite and the the uh, layabout, uh, the whole understand that uh, this narrative is useful for for wealthy elites to sort of like as a tool of pressure, societal pressure, to think you have to work hard and by doing so you'll see it and. But I I don't understand any of that statement beyond that line. Um, so primitive accumulation, um, from our, is it, this is just sort of way to start thinking about it. So like, yes, uh, one of the reasons I put this part up in, in particular is because we get this, this what Mark sees as, as an important um, myth that is that is put forward by, by capitalists of when the question is like, where did you get your money to begin with, right? Where did all this sort of start? It's like, well, I'm an inheritor of... X, Y, and Z, and I continue this tradition of actual hardworking, meritorious labor, right? Like the the uh, we're you know when we're talking about sort of Kaiba making uh, he he makes the disc uh, himself. That labor of of initial production uh, of, of of initial creation is somehow worth more than all the labor of his factory workers who have to make these the the um, these designs so they can actually spread out. Kaiba did not by hand make every single one of these. Um, uh, commodities that he sells, um, but primitive accumulation for Marx again, in general, is he's talking about this moment in which so there's a there's a time before capitalism, hard to imagine, uh, uh, but there was one, uh, not necessarily a better uh, economic system, but there was one before then. And what Marx wants to talk about, right, is he wants to question this 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 idea of well, what what. Um, what initially separated um, owners, the wealthy, from 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 the laborers, the the unwealthy? What initially separated that? And one myth that we get is the one that I just read from that paragraph of, of industrious, intelligent, diligent people becoming the elite, right? And then there are lazy rascals who who almost are condemned to to um, by their own failures uh, of being of not being industrious enough are are, are doomed to be poor and that's sort of how things originally happened when but primitive accumulation um ultimately is 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 the way in which production before capitalism comes around but when people are producing goods values um when there's forms of productions this is transformed into the capitalist moment and this transformation uh from uh a pre-capitalist mode of production to a capitalist mode of production for Marx, and what he's most interested in is often the process of separating the laborer from their capital, right? From or not, for, not from capital, sorry, from the means of production. But this this is one of the big things that happens. That that in a violent action, uh, this is why this is why chapter twenty six ultimately concludes with chapter thirty three in this final section of capital with colonization, because the capitalist uh, or, or, cap or capitalist processes will rend um, a farmer from ownership of uh, his own tools even, right? Um, mm -hmm. And and then, you know... I've got a metaphor for this. Go, go, go ahead, Sarah, please. It's like, imagine if 
to physically play the game of Duel Monsters, you like literally could not do it without a dual disc. Unlike if you are, if say the laborer is also is the gamer, then the gamer is dependent on the dual disc. The dual discs being the means of production, and sort of by separating the, you know, your ability to game from the tools that you use to play that game, then that's kind of that would be Kybercorp having like all the power and like you know not allowing you to game unless you buy their product. Um, is that is that sort that, of what that, what we're talking? I think about? that's I think that's one way to be to begin to think about it and 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 um and to, and to phrase it. And the last thing I just want to say to 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 finally sort of wrap this up. So there's two narratives here. One is does one is moral that lacks violence. One narrative of where did this this you know um. Where did this division of labor um, come from? Where, where did this division of um, wealthy and, and non-wealthy come from? One is just a particular more failure and certain people didn't work hard enough. There's a sin, blah, blah, blah. When Marx tells us, it's like, no, this isn't actually what happens, right? What actually happened was that large, large sections of the population were violently uh, dispossessed of their abilities to sustain themselves, self of self sufficiency, right, um, and forced into a marketplace in which they were forced to sell their labor to those who had already owned something, or or who had through some process violently uh, uh, taken that. So that, that's that's the that's the larger context of chapter twenty six. I brought it up here because I think it's a useful way to begin to think about Seto Kaiba and um, um, the show because I think the show is actually more in line with this model of these, there are, there are really, one that a lot of people didn't recognize to us today, that a lot of people still model, right? Uh, Jeff Bezos was just the smartest person who came up with this incredible business idea. Um, and he deserves all this money because of how hard he worked at it early on. You know, Bill Gates in his garage, you know, just, just working harder than the rest of us, putting in the, you know, rise and grind gamers, like 12 hours a day, you know, eight days a week. Um, and then you can do it, right? Um, that is kind of what we do get from uh, the show. But Sarah brings up the really important part that the show writes in its own self-critique when we remember that the corporation that Kaiba does eventually prove he is worthy of running and that he ends up being able to make his full fortune and actually exert power upon the world and shape the literal names of cities, right, comes from literal blood money money the the capital accrued by kaiba corp that made that let them be able to make um entertainment products is weaponry right like, like that's a really important point that and it, maybe it's this exact moment where Mar like this is maybe the show's marxist turn of going like ha 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 you want to believe that uh this is bloodless let us remind you of the blood right um and and the show even does like a decent enough job at that because like pretty much Kaiba's big arc in season four is like having to reckon with that past, like literally being shown like a character's like the death of his brother at the hands of Kaiba Corp, and like you, like it, it's basically. I mean, and and again, season four uh, isn't they're not like that good at sort of forming full ideas and capitalizing on these things, but. It, it almost gets to the point of Kaiba having to like, you know, like once again reckon with like, it might not be enough that I'm just saying, okay, like I'm not doing this anymore. Like 
yeah, I used to be, you know, like Hypercorp used to be a military industrial complex company, but it's not anymore. Like it almost gets to the point of saying like, that's not enough. You can't just say, okay, I'm good now. Like he has to do more like material good than that. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and even before, you know, season four got to all that shit, you know, Kaiba had his whole arc in virtual world. Weird how it's only in filler that this is being discussed. Uh, you know, Kaiba has his whole arc where he is shown to like, you know, his Gozaburo gave him a, a, a billion yen and said, double it in two days. And the way he did that was by just completely fucking over a company that made pottery or something. Um, and he's, he's just like explicitly shown that the reason he's rich is because he's just fucked over other people. Um, and Aki's kind of, he's like that as a duelist as well, kind of. Your turn, of course, because the show, the show ultimately is like, he realizes this, and instead of turning his corporation, I don't know, into a co-op or something, he, uh, he's like, don't worry, I'm going to take care of orphans. <laughs> it's like, ah, Kaiba good now. He did it. He solved the answer. Actually, we just need we just need another another Bill Gates uh, orphanarium, and uh, that'll that'll. Uh, <laughs> I, I actually orphanage. That's the actual word. I've watched too much Futurama. <laughs> <laughs> orphanarium. The orphanarium. Yeah. Orphanage. <laughs> um, um, right, were there any other uh, responses to the reader, like questions, um, or like not questions, but um, things well, that the I reading brought up? Okay, go ahead. I I have just one question. Um, how, how, how much do we care about spoilers for this episode? Hmm, can we not, not completely spoil Millennium World, but let's kind of touch on some things a bit. Well, I, mm, um, I mean, Millennium, here's the thing about Millennium World, is that it, it goes, it goes buck wild from, like, a Marxist perspective, um, in terms of equating um, physical human um, entities and their worth, um, because and, and we can cut this if you if we don't if we think it's too much of a spoiler. But basically, it's revealed. In- no, no, listeners, just skip ahead like five minutes. I'll give you five minutes. Yeah. Let's, okay. Let's include a timestamp in the show notes. Hey, Duelists, skip ahead to one hour and 20 seconds in the recording to avoid season five spoilers. But, um, there, yeah, so in Millennium World, it's it's sort of touched upon a little bit beforehand, but it is shown much more directly that every card is the physical embodiment of someone's soul, and people are essentially farmed for their souls to create stronger cards to summon. Like, instead of going to jail, criminals are put through tortures to develop the magic of their souls to make their boss stronger so that they can be summoned and then used in battle. So, like, human capital in Millennium World is incredibly direct and incredibly messed up. Um, Labor power there. I I was, um, I I think... It's incredible that that because one of the, one of I, you know I, I I promised you all I'd save I have my hot takes for the end, um, but that's incredible that, you, that that the show has anticipated one of my hot takes, and that's if there were more workers in if we saw more workers in Kaiba Corp or 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 in, what is it um, I squared what is it Imaginary Industries or whatever um, Industrial Illusions Industrial yeah. Illusions that's it um, if we saw more workers in there we would have gotten a duel in which 
uh, Kaiba was sacrificing his workers to like turn them into cards or something like like that 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 you know when, when there's a section where Lenin talks about like let us imagine if capitalism invented um, farming and uh, things well, things wouldn't have worked as well but like that that would have happened but the show actually did that the show just dead yeah, ass yeah. was like <laughs> and, and more importantly more importantly the character who does this is um the previous incarnation of Seto Kaiba. See, I'm telling you, there, who, there it is. I, I, the who show is, who is a high priest in ancient Egypt, Priest Seth. Priest Seth is charged with defending the nation, and he does this by um by finding criminals and then torturing them again to develop their boss, which he then um captures and summons. And this all culminates very interestingly in essentially again. Big big spoilers here. Um, finding um a woman whose sole hosts guess what the blue eyes white dragon and him developing feelings for her afterwards. Ah. It, it's this, yeah, there's a lot that goes on. This sounds like this a perfect allegory. Yeah, this sounds like a perfect allegory though for for um for labor um and 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 and, and you know because this is literally I mean so we have people forced into a system that looks like some sort of imprisonment lack of freedom in which they must give their labor to some or their their spirit their 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 something right to uh this person who's in charge and who violently is ripping it out and appropriating it uh like this 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 hardly feels like an allegory this just feels like fucking <laughs> marks retire takahashi's here not <laughs> um yeah i mean i don't want i don't want to um i I, I don't think a reading of Yu-Gi-Oh, at least as far as I as I see it, should be one of like Yu-Gi-Oh is actually Marx's stronghold because the show, like I do think the show lets the show sees like no part of the redemption of Kaiba is the fact that he does philanthropy, right? Like that that actually is kind of like the show seems to be pretty cool with that, right? Like that that's like the way he pays back, what have you? Um, the Maximilian Pegasus, um, you know. Maximilian Pegasus is not exactly seen as as he's seen as somebody who's like eccentric and was obs like his problem was an obsession with uh, a lost love, um, but that he's actually a good guy and it's fine. He's fine. It's fine. It's, it's fine. Pegasus is fine. It's all right. It's, right. it's fine. Um, like so, like but yes, but definitely that there's something about like I'll put it like this: like always remember, like people, people, Adam Smith, you know, one of one of a lot of people's a lot of um, uh, a lot of the people you hate the most when you talk about economy, economics with um, uh, favorite person. Um, Adam Smith got some things really dead on. Like he, a lot of his interpretations are not the worst things in the world, right? But he comes to very, very different conclusions, right? So you know, um, I'm just saying I don't think the end of this of this uh, discussion should be. And thus we see that uh, Yugi is a comrade. I'm not quite sure. Uh, if my screen name Kami Yugi is is a reality, <laughs> um, but uh, uh, nonetheless, I, I, def I definitely agree with you that, that there are moments of rupture, at the very least, of useful representation. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm going to share a photo in the chat for us all. Um, again, spoilers abound, but one second. Like, these are three very telling panels, I feel. 
It's we're looking at it. manga. Ooh. Yeah, we're yeah. I'm I'm a manga girl through and through with the series. So this is yeah. Um. So Priest Seth is out. Um doing his rounds, uh, which is part of his regular security duty, when he sees um, a very pale woman with white hair basically being um, assaulted for being a very pale woman with white hair in ancient Egypt. Um, and uh, he is with uh, another priest, Kaleem, who is in charge of the scales. And um, Kaleem's ability with the scales allows um, Seth to look into people's souls and see what the shape of their cot is. So he does that with this woman after stopping this mob from killing her. Um, and his response is, a white dragon within this girl resides a cot of awesome power. And he looks at, he's looking down at her like broken and bruised body and his next immediate thought is <laughs> I can use this cot, extract it from her if it will be strong enough to protect a kingdom. <laughs> so <laughs> I shall extract from you your 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 um, labor, your ability to, <laughs> to, to. I will extract from you this this thing. Yeah, this is this your is this literal incredible. life. Your yeah, your literal, literal life. It's your literal life. Yeah. Um, no, the, the full the full the full objectification, um, of course, is not 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 just in terms of like treating her as as her body as an object or something like that, but like literally her, her, her spirit, her, her, her soul itself. Right. Um, the incredible little section there. Um, although it is also very funny to me. I mean, it's a whole sort of side thing. You want to talk about Orientalism. I mean, like this, this, this is as much ancient Egypt as, uh, um, Evangelion's uh, Christianity is, is Christianity, right? Like, <laughs> right. like oh it's, my gosh! It's, it's, so, but it's, it's it's still very funny. It's like ah yes, scales those exist in in, in, in yeah. It's just, it's just wow, cool. It's culture. like wow, cool culture. <laughs> let me let me look what at some scales. To be fair, the scales do actually come directly from Egyptian mythology. That's one of the few things that he pulled more directly than anything else. No, no, what I'm saying is like that's that's true. That that is 100 yeah. right. And, I mean, I use the phrase all the time when I'm like when I'm about to like savage somebody. I'm like, listen, I am not, I am not a a deity of death. My job is not to weigh your heart on a on, against a feather. Nevertheless, and then I proceed to weigh weigh, weigh someone's heart against a feather. But like, still, like we like there, there's this moment where this the show itself is as close to Egypt as. Uh, as Maximilian Pegasus is in his recreation of, of Egyptian stuff. I and mean, there's a way in which the show also removes imagery and or like as, as an actual, like the show and the manga remove images, um, try and rework the images into their own narrative and into their own story. And there's a way in which there's, this is a point we didn't talk about or we didn't have in the readings there. And cause Benjamin doesn't talk about, Walter Benjamin doesn't talk about it as much except in some of his letters to um, Adorno. Uh, but this, the indelible trace, right? There's a way in which, like, the gods are going to come along with these images regardless of what you do, right? Like, there's there's a way in which, like, the opposite of the aura that can be destroyed is the trace, which which remains indelible. And there's a way in which, like, when we acknowledge it, like, no, there actually is a scale. Like, the trace remains of of actual Book of the Dead um, um, imagery and symbols used correctly. I mean, this is this this gets talked about. I think more, more commonly and sometimes usefully, sometimes poorly in, in Evangelion, right? In that 
in that anime where it's like, yeah, okay, sure, say as much as you want that like they didn't actually think through the the imagery, but some point in time, apocalyptic imagery with Christ figures abounding and angels with Japanese uh uh where the Japanese is also aligned with apostles, like you can't help but like see the traces uh carry over um beyond potential intention. So yeah, so it's it's but simultaneously like, yeah, it's 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 we look at this and go, that that's Egypt. But I also used to play a flash game where Courage the Cowardly Dog goes to Egypt and Onks represent his life. And I'm like, yeah, Onks kind of do represent life. The Courage the Cowardly Dog game I guess got that one right. You know, um... <laughs> But, uh, it, it, it's like um, a, a lot of it seems like Takahashi just got that Egyptology book that we all read in like sixth grade or whatever, and he didn't really do a whole lot of research past that. But at the same time, like Egyptian culture and history is a lot more ubiquitous than like most other ancient cultures, I'd say, at least in my experience, to the point where like a lot of people can see it and be like, yeah, that is about what I know from Egypt and like, you know, everything else checks out because well, of what's that. really important about Egypt and, and, and this is a whole side that we can cut this entirely, especially for the, for the quote unquote Western world and, and a Judeo Christian um, uh, concept. And again, Judeo Christianity is, I, I don't mean to say that um, Jewish traditions and Christian traditions are actually that much in line. Um, anyway, Perhaps um, the word you're looking for is Abrahamic. Abrahamic maybe. Yeah. I, um, I still I stick with Judeo Christian because uh, Islam actually deals a lot a bit less in the Quran than um, or in the Quran with with Egypt and sort of the enslavement in Egypt and, and it becomes sort of less important in some ways. But but um, what I mean to say, but but maybe Abrahamic does does um, work better. But um, that it's part it's supposedly part of European tradition in a way that other ancient civilizations aren't because supposedly we are all. Um, you know, the Christian nation and Jewish uh, beliefs come from a particular place in the Middle East, in which Egypt is wrapped up in in a longer story of the faith tradition, right? Because, like, ask yourself, like, when it comes to ancient civilizations, all of us were, I, I, I think, raised in, and correct me if I'm wrong here, raised in you know some part of Northern Europe or or America or the United States. Um, and we just think of Egypt as somehow closer to us, even though it's so different than like the uh, Maya, right? Than than uh, you know New World, um, which still feels like if you did imagery from New World um, archaeological sites or what have you um, from New from New World religious systems, that would feel almost entirely bizarre, almost entirely removed. But there's something where it's like Egypt is a very close exotic, right? It is something where it is it is recognizable to us because we're all taught stories of the Jewish community, the Ju Jewish people being enslaved in Egypt. And we hear a lot about the Pharaohs. People don't, you don't hear about the Pharaohs for the first time when you like read this book in Egyptology, if you're raised in, in, in a, a Christian nation in all but name, uh, you hear about it because of enslavement. So, so it's one of those things where, where um, for us, when we look at this stuff, it, it, it becomes different. So that's why it's interesting to consider though. I, I don't have much to say on my, what Egypt means for um, the authors of Yu-Gi-Oh and sort of what their relationship would be. But when we read this stuff, I think it seems a little, a little closer. I'm hashtag thunking. I want to plug one book here real quick. Um, for those of you who are interested, this is an old, old professor of mine who's a, uh, he, he was a co-host on a podcast called um, Archaeological Fantasies for a while. Uh, very funny guy. Very, 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 um, 
very very kind kind uh person while also sort of being very very um direct and wanting to explain things but he wrote a book called uh spooky archaeology um i just packed it away i'm, I'm getting ready to move back um to ohio for a few months um right now but uh if you want to if you want to read something that really is that is one of the best accounts that i've ever come across of 19th and 20th century appropriations of of, of archaeological sites of old of old places the ways in which that like you know when you go into a museum you know in a movie you expect something magical to happen right like where if you want to read about atlantis where atlantis came from if you want to read about how cthulhu is actually uh king tut um which is which is one of the best chapters in that where he kind of shows all that work of, of how much egyptology stuff uh, lovecraft is reading it's a really really good book um and it's not too expensive um even though it's an academic text so just just point that out spooky archaeology um sorry you brought that up and i was like i've heard of this but that's because you've recommended it to me before i, I have yeah, it, it's, uh, um anyway. yeah um before we move on i want to say no more no more no more discussions of millennium world spoilers i'll I think we 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 passed that about the one oh one minute mark. Um, but um, Daniel, whenever we were talking about the trace uh, instead of the aura, because um, I have quite a few notes about the god cards and their their sort of aura, and by aura I mean the fact that they work as god cards when you play them, um, and just the fact that their godliness is sort of in the show connected to the fact that you can play them and that they are playable things uh, and how that, you know, Pegasus painting them, you know, their, their aura of authenticity is more the fact that they are able to be played than the fact that they are painted by Pegasus, who's a really good painter. Um, and this sort of, you've got this like, legitimacy given to the game by the fact that it's uh, really old it comes from ancient Egypt blah 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 um you know you've got Pegasus reproducing them you've got the fact that the presumably the god cards in the show are like printed objects that like a machine printed and, like, and that he has to return he has to return those objects to like he doesn't return an artifact that he stole like, it's not like a return the slab it's he has to if I remember right correct me if I'm wrong he has to fly the cards back to Egypt and seal the yeah, cardboard, yeah. right? Um, um, that are presumably like prints of the paintings that Pegasus made, but like the, 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 <laughs> the fact that they're like the, the gods, like the literal gods like live in those cards um, it it kind of makes the game of dual monsters like kind of sacred, because the fact that putting those cards on a dual disc like releases the gods so like and there's a very this is a cool 60 frames per second animation of a huge dragon around a blimp um and the fact that like their aura is 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 in the cards it kind of basically what it seems like is it gives the cards that you know the packs of cards that you buy at the corner shop in real life that gives them authenticity. Just yeah, and like yeah, sells them. It just it sells them. And, yeah, and authenticity is of course a troubling, pro problematic term. Not in sort of the hashtag cancel way, but like one that's it's just troubling um, and problematic. Because because I want I'll put things in a different way. Aura um, to remove to the the 
if the aura is the way in which something that is localized cannot be made non-local. Um, but the trace is an acknowledgement or sort of a potential uh, theorizing of how something can be delocalized and still remain itself, right? So this is a way which, like, the Egyptian gods have been released upon the world, right? Um, even if just this, this again, no, no more spoilers, but the 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 image of the manga that we looked we looked at, um, you know, is still so kingdom focused, and so much of like what happens in the sort of Pharaoh's memories and this sort of whole stuff is so much focused on the the kingdom itself where it seems like the stakes have been raised in the contemporary world, where it's not just that there's a threat to, uh, you know, one nation in one place, but instead a threat to all of humanity, right? That, that by delocalizing art, there's a, there's a fundamental, like there's an existential threat for the human race. This is, this is the ways in which that like, again, like we can think of this in terms of, I think of it most easily in terms of, of um, <laughs> one of my, one of my colleagues and good friends, Calls um, what is it the 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 late Holocene Capitolo extinction project or something like that instead of the Anthropocene, um, but we think about this as like the stuff that like first world quote unquote nations are doing uh, to pollute the world and just kill everyone brings everyone into this. It does not matter if you know a small nation that has been exploited for you know hundreds of years under uh, horrible violent colonial regimes did anything or didn't do anything to add to this. They're, they're wrapped up in it as well. And so the way in which that like, uh, what happens in the sort of global superpowers in this world, there are no, this is the other hot take, there are no nations, right? There's just corporations. So what the corporations do and what the corporations threaten to release unto the world, right? By, by removing, um, I don't know, like I, this, this is the part where it's like, this is just like the past the wacky tobacco, like let's, you know, like I still find it very funny of like, let us go to the sands of the Middle East to pull up the dragons. I'm like, that's what that's what oil is, man. <laughs> like, <laughs> like that again. That's the like the dang take of like, yeah, you know, we've removed oil and let that into the you know, the, the carbon into the atmosphere, man. And it's like the dragons, man, and the god cards, man. Yeah, you know, um, that's a little too much, but still, um, I find the relationship between how the threat of the God cards is only possible to be made a threat because they can be delocalized. Their power can be made uh, universal. And that process of turning a local into a global um, is the exact process of 20th century, 21st century uh, global hegemony. Right. Um, so that's, that's my response to my response to your response. There. The other uh, episodes or moments in the show that um, came up in people's in people's mind while they were reading um, some of the things put forward, or is there anything that's just like our conversation, like other sections that we're not looking at or we haven't we haven't brought up yet that are relevant to our conversation, or at least that you thought of? I know I say things, but I I just spoken. So if anyone else wants to, there is. I don't know if this is like something you're prepared to discuss or not, but but when it comes to like class warfare and Yu-Gi-Oh, uh, the sequel series to the original series, Yu-Gi-Oh GX, has Kaiba establishing a a sort of academy for uh, 
I guess, teenagers and children to learn about, I guess, skills, but in particular, dual monsters. A notable thing this academy does is that students are divided into three houses, so to speak. Uh, and these, these three houses are Slifer Red, uh, Raw Yellow, and Obelisk Blue. Uh, Obelisk Blue is the highest ranking one. All of these, to put a long story short, these are sort of, these students are sort of divvied amongst their financial gain. And while the, with the idea underneath it being that the quote-unquote richer, or sorry, the quote-unquote better houses are more likely to have richer students in them. Perhaps reflecting on Kaiba's own uh, beliefs on uh, class and such, and meritocracy. I think um, my, the, the, I definitely, the, the, the meritocratic part at the end there, the sort of the, this conflation of rich means merit, like you are, you're more meritorious or you've, or you've proven something more, um, and poor means uh, that you've, you've, you've shown some moral failing or something. I, that makes sense to me. Um, I, the thing that I'm not prepared to respond to is, and there's a lot of stuff written about this of different, of different, um, relations to class. Um, the petite bourgeoisie, of course, is one of the big sort of discussions of what is the petite bourgeoisie and, um, different stuff for me personally, in my, in my own investigation, my own sort of thought, I actually don't put a lot of weight in upper class, middle class, lower class, distinctions like that. There, there's, there's some, there, there's of course a lot of, this is not me saying these conversations are not important and good to be had. Like there's some really smart stuff or not, but what I focus on primarily in my mind, always re returning to, there are two classes. There are the owners and there are the workers, right? There, there are those who own the means of production and there are those who uh, have to sell their labor to those who own the means of production in order to, make a wage right there are of course a lot of things in between there like i'm not trying to say that those are like that that's how everything is but when we talk about like class solidarity um in those terms people often think class solidarity is the middle class boring or the middle class whatever that may be but you ask the question like what is the middle class the middle class is solidarity with the owners right that that is what they want the system to continue in such a way because uh, I mean, this is part of the, what people talk about with like, the petite bourgeoisie, people who do not own the means of production themselves, but are making out um, better and are sort of put in a position of um, defending in, in very different ways um, through and are in finding solidarity, not in their fellow laborers um, or not with their fellow laborers, but with the owners. And again, so so for me, it, it, the reason I don't have I don't have a really strong answer to that is I don't. Um, Again, I, I, I don't come from a very wealthy background. And I, this is part of my own sort of um, uh, upbringing uh, coming forward. But like, I don't care if you make $150,000 and are put in the, the raw house or you make $10 million and are put in the uh, obelisk house. Um, and and um, it's like, oh, you know, well, yes, there is a distinction. This person, this person would choose a, a, a Pinot Noir over a Bordeaux. That shows, that shows how, 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 how foolish they are. Right. To me, it's just like you're all you're all fucking getting getting the bullet, right? You know. Um, so so that, that, that's my only response. I don't I don't I don't know if I have any um, anything useful to add beyond just trying to continue to think about the weird ways in which the show is a, does not really give us many people who are laboring and like 
Like, I mean, help me out here. I might be missing someone. Is there somebody in the show who, like, is a top-tier duel monster who, like, pinched pennies by working in the factory every day to buy each card in his set, like, card by card or something? Like, do we do we get that? Is there... I'm just, I'm, I sincerely don't know. Right? I can't think of one, but... I mean, I can't think of anything in the way that you're saying, but what you did, what you were saying there kind of made me think and realize that whilst, you know, there's there's nothing is that that's like workers versus owners, there's not so much a representation of like laborers in the show. Um, there are a lot of duels that are, you know, the gamer versus the game developer. Like, you know, we've got that final, the duels with Pegasus, who's like, I designed this game, I own it. And you're merely a gamer, who are you to challenge me? And we've got people like Duke Devlin might be an interesting one to talk about. Um, I'm not sure. Um, but you know, the, the, the deal with him where he's like, I've designed this game, Yugi, can you beat me at it? Um, where, you know, all the stakes are really unfair. Um, and that, that kind of ties into that, so the sort of meritocracy thing where, you know, Pegs is like, oh, I designed this game, therefore I should have all the best cards. Or Duke Devlin going, oh, I designed this game, oh, also I'm not going to tell you the rules. Um, you know, we have, we, we we can look at things from that perspective. Um, yeah, no, no, definitely that there, there's a, I mean, there, there's one, there's one model of the show that where the show is about, um, about, questioning hierarchies only insofar as as creating a perfect free liberal subject right or it's like you know ideally uh pegasus and kaiba would not be hoarding cards for themselves they're putting their finger on the scale and then the tr and then the truly good co uh, players could could show themselves could you know the, the joey wheelers of the world would truly only uh rise by their friends um support uh, the support of their of their of their better friends, and that the problem with Yu-Gi-Oh world uh, is that um, somebody's putting their finger on the scale, and if we could just fix that, then then things would be fine. Um, yeah, there's definitely. Um, but what I find, but that may be sure there. But what I think is most interesting, the thing that Yu-Gi-Oh helps me think most about, um, is the way in which, and again, you could talk about this as oh, this is just how the show has to be, blah blah blah. But the way in which everyone just buys into the terms that Kaiba and Pegasus put forward. This is how the game works. I get special cards with special rules that you don't get access to. And instead of people going, that's horseshit, we're just not going to play the game. They go, fine, I'm going to find some clever way to beat you at your own game. All right, sure enough. But the show is really, really a damning critique of just like, where's revolution in the Yu-Gi-Oh! universe? Where, where is anybody uh, questioning why it is that like the one who made the card somehow gets gets to cheat essentially, right? Like again, like it's not cheating because he makes the rules, but like by the way everyone else is playing, he's just dead ass cheating a lot of the time, and. Uh, the the answer like the response to that is the show goes why the fuck aren't you doing that like we know the rich are cheating in this world anyway we know that we know that the, it's a game of monopoly where ninety percent of uh, ninety percent of the property is already owned 
right? Like, who the fuck are you to critique Yu-Gi-Oh? Just, just enjoy your damn show, kids. Like, you know, uh, sit back and, and 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 absorb it all, and you know, reflect on the fact that you know the world is filled with Pegasus and Kaibas. Who instead of rejecting them, you're you're going along with them. I mean, this is a little aggressive, and I'm being a little. I mean, I'm being a little like too too like shake rag my finger for not revolution. I'm a coward myself, right? I'm also somebody who's not you know um, who's who's stealing from the rich uh, in in little moments here and there and giggling at myself for it. But like you know, not not building coalitions. That to me is the part of the show where that's the part of the mirror where it's like, you know, that, that classic meme of like, what don't you like about this image? It's like, I, I'm in it and I don't like it, right? You know, the I'm in it and I don't like it part of this show is I'm just like Yugi. I'm trying to get better at the game than questioning why the fuck the CEOs are deciding what the rules of the game are, right? Um, mm-hmm. Hey, you know who did do that? It was <laughs> Yeah, just pulled, that ass pulls a gun on Pegasus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh s- something that sort of uh, it, it like c- connects both with the readings and with just like the main theme of the show like you know kaiba and pegasus have their own exclusive cards like pegasus even more so like kaiba had to tear up one of the blue eyes so no one else could have it but like they presumably were released at one point for everyone but pegasus just straight up never released any of the tune monsters like those are all his and no one else's and essentially the only way pegasus was able to be beaten was through a combination of the Millennium Puzzle, which is an artifact which is like belongs more rightfully to dual monsters, like as it was in its original ancient form, and also, you know, banding together, like, you know, the lower class rising up essentially, like, you know, them all coming together in a show of friendship against Pegasus, where they could essentially like neutralize his powers. So it's like, you know, the synthesis of you win you you can win by both like using the most authentic means you know like in relation to the origins of dual monsters and also by all like coming together as a community Commun- community solidarity um combined with a strong sense of um again i don't know what to do with um again this, this is not me like say, I, I sincerely am myself in my own work working through what like ritualistic religion um aspects have to do with 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 some of this stuff but like coming together around uh or using the power of this pre-capitalist um ritualistic uh object right this non-commodity um and something about that is able to finally destabilize um pegasus so that maybe the show does 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 show us that but if it does then the result is not an overthrowing of, of hierarchy, but essentially just a, a, a it is it's it's a coup versus a revolution, right? Um, so I because it's it, it, it's it's yeah, there's 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 some energy in that in, in that in that reality. I agree with you, but um, you know what the end result of that is? I mean, this sometimes sometimes in my most sort of critical moments of certain things, it just sounds like yeah, like Joe Biden is it if we elect him, then we are actually beating Trump and everything. It's like, yeah, yeah, you're right. If we just can return to a worse version of the Obama years, then surely things will be good. Like, like, you know, like, do I agree that, like, do I agree that like, uh, Pegasus is bad and Yugi is good? Like, yeah, sure. But like, I'm all like, am I rooting for 
the incarnation of a pharaoh king over a CEO. Like, I, I like yeah, not not quite sh- like I do like the one a little better, but I'm not quite sure. I, I yeah, the lesser evil, but it's still, still evil. It's still like yeah, it's still not like Joy Wheeler and his Joyzy boys coming coming out and and, and beating this <laughs> right. Shit. Yeah, yeah. It, it, <laughs> We'll we'll never get as like ideal as like straight up communist Joey Wheeler. In I mean, it, I'm not I'm not even trying to judge show, but like it's not communist stuff. I just think it's worth reflecting on like how people choose to respond to this these injustices that take the form in the game of cheating of what feels like cheating of unfair advantages, um, and how people respond to that. And they don't respond by by refusing to play the game they respond by getting really good at the game right um and that is that's i think that's worth reflecting on um uh of both how that functions in the show what the show sort of forwards there and what we what we do with that you know again for me i see that and go i'm also trying to learn how to play the game i'm trying to get my i'm trying to get my bourgeois green card i'm trying to i'm trying to uh graduate with a phd and 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 become part of the intelligentsia right like you know what this this image has me in it i don't like it <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um Laz, i'm gonna say we are coming up on uh an hour and a half uh which is fine this is this is a long episode this is a, this is a meaty one um but i think we should start getting to some some closing remarks um and wrapping up um so I'll uh, I'll I'll save my I, I I just I'll reiterate two hot takes but at the end but I don't really have much else to say so other other people what what, what uh, where where are you all at now like after having this conversation what are some what are some things you're thinking about through Yu-Gi-Oh what are some questions you might still have um, I'm I'm looking at this sort of a page of incomprehensible notes that I've and, and doodles um, that I've made and I I think we've kind of I've sort of confused myself because I didn't write them in order. Um, and I've also there's I done a drawing of Pegasus in his colonialism hat, which we haven't talked about. I just want to say I did a drawing of Pegasus in his in his colonialism hat. You know, the little the white hat with the 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 the, the band across it that's like explorer little, hat. Um, yeah, a little pith hat. That's kind of that's the image of this discussion for me. Is just Pegasus doing doing quote unquote archaeology, aka <laughs> theft. Um, it's grave robbing. Yeah. That's what I it is. Know, yeah. yeah, I think I don't know. I think it's really fun to put meaning into something. You know, that again, this is very, a very much a death of the author kind of question um, and discussion that we've. Because, I mean, Takahashi, on this podcast, we've taken Takahashi out the back and kicked the shit out of him. Uh, yeah, you know, <laughs> multiple times. You know, it's it's also death of the editor um, because. Uh, as as we mentioned here before, when we were talking about the siloed idea that this is a series to sell toys or to sell card game, that, that wasn't what it was originally. Um, that was an editor's choice. But it's fun to take something that um, was not intended to have any any deep meaning whatsoever. It's a shonen manga, um, and and actually give it. A deep meaning and a legitimacy in terms of uh, higher level theory. So, I just like doing it. It's good to me. Well, I mean, it comes all the way from ancient Egypt. That's the most legitimate thing you can have. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Ancient <laughs> Egypt, as it definitely was. Again. 
Yeah, they went back there. They know what it was like. Yeah. This is this is truly a portal to the past. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think my takeaway from all this is that, like, I, I, I joke, I feel like every other week it's like, you know, how dare I uh, seriously analyze this show about a card game aimed at children. But, like, it's fun to do that, and it's valuable to do that. And I feel like in in some darker parts of the show where the writing, you know, isn't good and there's questionable decisions are always being made, I feel like there's always room to, like, analyze and criticize it just to, like, you know, get so much more enjoyment out of it aside from just, like, non-existent character arcs or, like, boring duels or whatever. Seriously thinking about that whole revolution versus coup thing... It, it's a, it's just something, just both in fiction and in reality, the, the idea of we have to, you either get one or the other is the only thing we're allowed to accept. Like, we're not allowed to consider there are other things we could do. Mm-hmm. I just remembered that Egypt did a coup a few years ago. Yeah. I need to read up on that um, and see what actually happened. Because they, they have a weird political situation going on at the moment and I don't know what it is and we should probably like mention it um, on podcast at some point. It's um, so, so I think so, a few final things. For me, I mean, one one just responded to some of your comments at this end here is just, um, you know, with each other. Now, I mean, we're, one of the things, um, you know, we always have to think about how we read things, or the theories we come to, and, and how our real world experiences affect that. And one of the sort of moments that I think we're all living in right now is a, a post irony turn, one where um, we're, we've kind of seen the the uh, limitations and the true kind of loneliness from. Uh, uh, irony, where where uh, and we're trying to return to something like sincerity. And one of the one of the statements that gets brought out all the time is like, "I don't care if you were just memeing, bro. You know, your meme is real, right? Like, I, you can't go oh, like I said that ironically. It's like, no, ironic racism is racism, right? Like, and there's a way in which the show cannot just you can't just you know push away. It's like, oh, it's just a show for kids. Oh, it's just a show. And I'm not saying anyone is doing this, but I'm just saying this is reality. We're all acknowledging of like. No, like things mean things, right? Uh, and you kind of can't escape that. The show doesn't get to choose, you know. I, you know, you cannot interpret me um, for whatever reasons. Um, and the moment we sort of delve into what we've been given, um, what what art's here, and we begin to ask the sort of questions, we begin to realize how hilariously cute it is um, to imagine, like, oh, Yu-Gi-Oh doesn't have anything to say about the real world. It's just a show about a bunch of corporations. Um, Profiting off of off of uh, plundered goods, you know, like yeah. it's like yeah, no, you're right. This has nothing to do. It's like people who are like doom is not political. Like, oh yeah, you're right. You you're right. Yeah. Um, and then my final two um, just hot takes is uh, I reiterate them. One one there are no there are no nations in in Yu Gi Oh except for corporations in Egypt. And two uh, <laughs> apparently the show beat me to this punch, but. Uh, if if there were more workers in the show, we would only see them get transformed transformed into cards, and uh, you know, 
anyway, uh, yeah, thanks, thanks everyone for 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 coming together here. Um, uh, I hope I hope some of the readings were were somewhat useful, uh, wor worth wrapping your head around. It's always worth you know just reading some uh, some daddy marks at some point, trying to work through it. Um, but yeah, uh, read daddy marks read, and think about daddy pegs. Da yeah, daddy peg. Uh, Yugi Boy is still just like mm, Yugi Boy is, is will forever be in my head. Yugi Boy, <laughs> Yugi Boy. Um, but yeah, thanks so much, everyone. It was, this was a lot of fun. Um, hope, hope you got some. Yeah, stuff thank out you, of it, Dan. You know? Yeah. yeah. Snaps for Dan. I have a final. I have one final um, joke to make. Um, what would um. Also, Benjamin's stand to cry be. Aura, 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 aura. Sorry. <laughs> I get it. To make that where's where's the off it. button? Well, we've had a lot of fun here today, kids. Uh, <laughs> I feel like this is how we end every episode, but. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay, I'm back. <laughs> okay. Uh, we have fun here. Um, um Oh wait, uh do we wanna Daniel, is there anything that you would like to plug before we nope. go? <laughs> uh Okay. Uh read marks, uh read later writers on marks. Um don't be afraid of trying to read something you don't um quite understand. Um it's worth doing. There's a lot of good commentary. Um, if you want to, if you want to dive into capital and deal with more of, of, of some of, uh, Marx's fundamental ideas, um, David Harvey has a really, really useful and very readable companion to capital to read alongside it. Um, it's a really worthwhile long-term project. If you, if you're looking for something to do, um, to think, to reflect further on, on capitalism, um, overall, um, and to not not and to always remember that like you don't need to understand like you living under a capitalist system means you understand a lot of this shit already. You don't need to uh, uh, you don't need to be legitimized by theoretical terms. Um, you know, just just uh, be good to your fellow worker and and you know don't don't apologize don't don't offer apologetics for your landlord. Right? That's 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 what I want. God, that's a big fucking made because I, I like I've never even read Capital, but I read a fucking summary of Capital, and the worst thing about it was it didn't tell me anything I didn't already know about society. I was like, yeah, I've lived with this my whole life. This is how it be. It gets some cool, cool terms of things, but yeah, that's that's all I really want to plug. And I already plugged that. Uh, if you want to, if you want to read more or think more about um relationship of, of art objects and archaeology and um our sort of weird engagements with that i really do uh, there's, there's no other book that or even article that i've come across that does this as well as as jeff card's spooky archaeology and again full disclosure he's an old professor of mine um uh, who, who i saw so i have i have a signed a signed copy of the book with, with a little note in it you know so you know i feel like i have to uh put that forward <laughs> here but i do think it's a really really useful book so that's the other thing i will plug for um those who are more interested in the hell the museums and uh um artifacts and art are doing in this show so Ooh. okay well i think that will about this you know you can come into our discord and and we can keep having discussions in there um Maybe we, maybe we can make like a little Marx channel in Discord or something. Yeah, we'll, we'll see how well um, this episode is received, and you know, <laughs> maybe we'll, I'll, <laughs> yeah. I'll hang around, you know. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, we're gonna we're about to lose our sponsorship. <laughs> yeah, Kaiba Corp sponsorship. Yeah. Yeah, Kaiba will not be happy about this one. Uh um Yeah, I'm not quite sure how to close this one up other than to say goodbye. Goodbye. And um Yeah, what is the power of friendship if not unionizing? Um Stay breezy. Stay breezy. Easy breezy. <laughs> I okay. eat.